Hello and welcome to our third episode of One Immune Voice. This is a podcast on autoimmune and immune-mediated conditions, brought to you by Janssen UK. My name is Claudia Hammond. I'm an author and broadcaster specialising in health and psychology. Now, in the first two episodes of this podcast, we were talking about mental health. And in this episode and the next, we're looking at something a bit different. We're going to discuss what happens when people are trying to get a diagnosis and how best to go about it. As we'll hear, it's not always easy, but I'll be joined by two guests who have some invaluable tips that might come in handy, whether you have a condition yourself or a friend or a relative does. And we're going to hear firsthand from Lucy, who has Crohn's disease, about her experiences. Now, six patient organisations are our partners on this podcast, and we have guests from two of those today. Ruth Wakeman, who is Director of Services, Policy and Evidence at Crohn's and Colitis UK, and Dr Dale Webb, who is the Chief Executive of the National Axial Spondyloarthritis Society. So welcome, Ruth, first of all. How are you? Good, thank you, Claudia. Lovely to be here. And Dale, how are you? How's your day been so far? My day's been very pleasant so far. So Ruth, first of all, can you tell us a little more about what Crohn's and Colitis UK does? Yes, certainly. So Crohn's and Colitis UK are the UK's leading charity for everyone affected by Crohn's and Colitis. Crohn's and Colitis are the two main forms of inflammatory bowel disease, and over 500,000 people in the UK have Crohn's or colitis. That's equivalent to about one in 123. These are lifelong, incurable diseases of the guts, which can affect almost every part of the body and every aspect of life. And Crohn's and colitis requires tight monitoring and management, often over several decades from the age of diagnosis. And if left untreated, poorly managed, um, it can cause serious complications which could require emergency medical or treatment or even surgery. And Dale, how about your organisation? So we support people who have axial spondyloarthritis or axial spa for short. And that affects about one in 200 people. And it's where people get inflammation around the spine and their other joints. And it causes debilitating pain. And if it's left untreated, new bones can actually form. So we support people uh, through a national network of branches that provide uh, physiotherapy and hydrotherapy. We have self-management programmes and a range of advice and support. But we also work alongside healthcare professionals to ensure that people get early diagnosis and best quality care. Now, this podcast is all about what it's really like for people with immune conditions. And so I want to introduce Lucy. Lucy has Crohn's disease, a type of inflammatory bowel disease, as we've heard, and was diagnosed about two years ago when she was 18. So the circumstances that led me to be diagnosed was about six months of struggling with symptoms. In September of 2020, I just moved to university for my first year and I started to suffer from a lot of health struggles I lost a lot of weight. Within about 30 days, I lost four stone. My hair had started to fall out. I couldn't hold any food down. I either threw it back up or it came straight through me. And the actual symptom that led to me realizing that there was a proper problem was blood in my stool. I sort of started to get that about a month or so before my diagnosis. And it went from being a small amount to being a very substantial, scary amount. And I had waited for far too long. It was in the middle of the COVID pandemic, so there was no way of me accessing my GP. 
And on Christmas Day, actually, I ended up collapsing because I've been putting off these symptoms for so long. And I hadn't eaten in probably about, I hadn't eaten properly in a month, but it had been a week since I'd properly eaten anything or kept anything down. And so I was very malnourished and very dehydrated. And I ended up in organ failure. And that's why I ended up in A&E on Christmas Day. And that's what led to my diagnosis. So from going into hospital on Christmas Day, it actually only took 48 hours for my diagnosis. Now, this is quite unusual when it comes to IBD diagnoses, because a lot of people it takes upwards of five to eight years. But I was suffering a lot with organ failure. So my bowel was basically completely shutting down. And I had a lot of results coming from my bloods and my stools that were suggesting it was irreversible. For example, the inflammation in your bowel is supposed to be under 50 and mine was at 2,500. And so they very much knew that there was something wrong. And I had an MRI, an endoscopy, loads of blood tests and stool samples and plenty of other tests, all within 48 hours, which led to my diagnosis within two days. It was it was very fast and very shocking. But if I had gone to hospital six months earlier when I first started getting those symptoms, it probably would have been a lot longer of a diagnosis. Ruth, it sounds as if Lucy was in a very serious situation once she did go into hospital. Yes, that's right. Lucy's story, sadly, is very similar to lots of stories that we hear from people um, with Crohn's and colitis. We know that nearly half of people with Crohn's and colitis will end up in A&E at least once before they get a diagnosis. And some people end up in A&E multiple times. And we've got research from before the pandemic that showed a quarter waited over a year for a diagnosis. And we suspect that it's much longer. And it must have been very, very hard for Lucy. Dale, what's your reaction to Lucy's story? What do you make of it? It's a good example of where people have developed symptoms but don't really understand what it is that's going on. Um, and that's very much the case also in axial spa. You have people in their late teens, early 20s, developing lower back pain. And not for one moment are they thinking, I've got inflammatory arthritis. You know, they're thinking maybe I've hurt myself through the sport I'm doing or through the gym or through my job. And so actually raising awareness about these conditions and helping people to join up the dots in their own minds and realise that this may be something and that they really need to go to general practice um, for, for, for a consultation. That's really a key part of the work that we're all trying to do. I can see how it's really, really useful to get support from patient groups. What should you do, Dale, if you're not sure what you have yet, because you haven't got a diagnosis, how do you know which patient group might be able to help you? Well, I think that just reinforces even more the importance of going to general practice. And we know that people are sometimes anxious about that, and you heard that from Lucy's clip. But the whole point of of general practice is to provide diagnosis and referral if necessary. It's fine to come to a GP appointment with your symptoms and your uncertainty and your anxiety. That's what the whole appointment is there for. And the GP will guide you through a series of questions to help them determine what it might be. So all too often people do think, oh, I don't want to bother my GP. I'm not really sure what I've got. That's even more reason to go and see your GP. Yes, Ruth, I'm guessing you'd agree with that because people often don't know what they've got. And as you were saying, it can come and go as well. 
What we've heard is people try and get their advice from other young people or from social media. Um, and for gut symptoms in particular, there's an enormous amount of information, most of it misinformation out there. And people will try and self-treat or self-manage their symptoms, sometimes making really drastic changes to their diets. We've heard from people who lived off bran flakes, for example, um, or stopped eating altogether. Now, you, you wouldn't try and fix your car through asking people on TikTok. Um, so <laughs> why, why yeah. would you do that for your own body? If you've got symptoms, you need expert advice. So don't ignore them. It's important to go and see a GP. People are worried about wasting a healthcare professional's time. But in the longer term, it's more problematic for the NHS if people ignore symptoms, end up in A&E, end up in surgery, not to mention the enormous human cost to people of, of living with really difficult symptoms that affect their whole lives, in some cases for years before they actually seek some expert information and advice. Yes, and I guess it's the case. You are you are allowed to go to your GP and it can turn out perhaps not to be something serious after all, but you're allowed to go and check that. But I think Ruth raises a really important point about intermittent symptoms because you get some conditions like axial spark where the symptoms will come and go. So if you haven't got that symptoms at that moment, you might think I'm a real fraud going to see my GP. And how long does it tend to take for people to get a diagnosis with axial spar? Well, sadly, at the moment, the average in the UK is about eight and a half years. Now, this is a crazy state of affairs in which people will be living with anxiety and physical and emotional impacts of that condition for many, many years because it isn't being diagnosed. Part of the problem is that people don't think it could be arthritis, so they're not going to see their GP. But a big part of the problem, too, is when people get into general practice, the GPs aren't thinking that this could be inflammatory arthritis. So patients aren't getting referred to where they need to go, which is a rheumatology department. And we think, actually, through the work we've been doing in our consultation with national bodies, that we could achieve a goal standard time of one year. The good news with axial spy is if you diagnose it quickly, people can be on a treatment path and can live a really good life. But early diagnosis is critically important. And so thinking, Dale, about when people are already experiencing symptoms like that but don't have a diagnosis, do you have any tips for navigating the healthcare system in order to try to find out what is wrong more quickly? I guess your first tip is to go to the GP. Well, it is. In the case of axial spar, a diagnosis needs to take place by a rheumatologist. So it's the role of the GP to request a referral direct to rheumatology. But you have to go to see your GP, first of all, to do that. And people can be anxious about going to see their GP. But you know what? It's just important to say, to be honest about why you're there and what you're worried about. And to take with you um, a list of the symptoms that you have, even keeping a log of the symptoms and the patterns that they have. These things are incredibly helpful for GPs to know about. And ultimately, when you see your GP, it, it's a shared conversation. It's fine to ask questions. And actually, it helps the GP to know that you've understood if you've actually been asking the questions. So with all of these things, the critical first thing you need to do is to go to primary care. Well, let's hear some more from Lucy, because she has some tips for us and some ideas about what might make things a little less difficult. In my opinion, what would make the whole diagnosis process a lot easier for the patient struggling themselves is that breakdown of stigma and taboo and being able to talk about it without feeling embarrassed. 
I think sometimes going into a doctor scenario or a GP, it can be very intimidating, especially in a hospital setting where everything is all white and all smells of bleach. It can it can scare you. And there's that fear mongering side of it that puts people off from getting help. So some tips that I would have when you're trying to get diagnosed in the healthcare system is to be persistent. You know your body better than anyone else does. And if you know something is wrong with your body, then something is definitely wrong. And it's important that you go and get checked. Also, please don't be scared of a diagnosis. It's just a word. It doesn't change what happens in your body. All it does is give you treatment and give you help. A diagnosis is actually the most important thing and the happiest thing that will happen to you. It will change your life because you will be able to get access to everything that you haven't had. And therefore, it is important to not be scared of that word. I know it is freaky, but getting access to that word, getting access to the help will change your life. There were some useful tips there, don't you think, Ruth? And I, I noticed that Lucy mentioned the embarrassment that you were talking about. And that, that is hard to overcome that, isn't it? Yes, Lucy's quite right. It's still taboo to talk about poo. Um, and bowel conditions are notoriously difficult to diagnose. And it's complicated further in that there's no nationally agreed pathway for GPs to make decisions on people presenting with bowel symptoms. There's no guidance on which order to do the tests in um, and what to do next before referring. So our, our message to people really is if you're experiencing diarrhoea or blood in your poo or unexpected weight loss or extreme pain or, or tiredness, there's a chance you might have Crohn's or colitis or indeed other conditions. People who have symptoms such as these do need to go and see their GP and get that expert advice. And also, if you have a lot of multiple symptoms, they might all be linked. So often people think the different symptoms have different causes, but sometimes they can all be connected and could be the sign of one condition. So it's important to tell your GP about all the symptoms you might be experiencing, even if you can't see the connection between them yourself. Dale, what did you make of what Lucy had to say? I thought her point about persistence was an interesting one. It is, and I think it's um, critically important. But I also think going along with armed with information that will help the GP is really important too. So in the case of Axial Spa, we have a whole website dedicated to this, to diagnosis, where you can go online and check your symptoms, and it's actonaxialspa.com. But you have a printout and you take it to your GP and explain to the GP what the symptoms are. It tells the GP what the GP needs to do in terms of the national guidance. So those kinds of things help you to work in partnership with the GP. But Lucy's right. Sometimes you do have to be persistent. And Ruth, what else can people do to prepare in advance when they're going to the doctor? I like this, this idea of, you know, perhaps filling in something about your symptoms. What else can you do? Crohn's and Colitis UK is we've launched a national public awareness campaign aimed at young people called Cut the Crap, Get Checked for Crohn's and Colitis. And as part of this, we've developed an online symptom checker with doctors, which takes just 30 seconds or so to find out if you should speak to your GP about your symptoms. So you would get a list of your symptoms and a letter that you can send or take to your GP. And we've also got lots of information for people who are experiencing symptoms so that they know what to do, whether they should see a GP, how urgently they should see a GP, and then what they should expect when they get to that GP appointment. 
Now, Dale, once people do have a diagnosis at last, when they come to organisations like yours, do you tend to find there's more that they want to understand about their diagnosis? Oh, very much so. I think when you're first diagnosed, it's quite overwhelming, really, understanding what the term means and worrying about what the long-term implications are. As I said earlier, the good news is people can lead, lead a healthy life, um, but people need to know about the kinds of exercise that it's okay to do or maybe not okay. They might want to know about their fertility and sex life or about work, a whole range of things, really, where organisations such as NAST can provide support to people. And it isn't just the information, it's also a national network of people who've also got the condition, people you can talk to and share tips with to help you lead the best life possible. And even once people get a referral, how long does it then take for them to get to see a rheumatologist? At the moment, it's taking longer than people would like as we emerge out of the COVID pandemic. And we've presented some new research in Parliament showing that the numbers of patients who are waiting more than three months from the point of referral to the point of diagnosis has almost doubled in the last three years. But really, patients should be seen within 12 weeks of that referral letter being received in rheumatology. And then typically what will happen is a patient will have that first appointment with the rheumatologist. They'll undertake a physical examination. They'll ask you about your symptoms. They'll do some tests, which might be uh, MRI tests or blood tests. And then in a subsequent appointment, you'll then receive your diagnosis. And if people do have to wait quite a long time, that must have an impact on their mental health, a real impact. It really does. And we know that actually in musculoskeletal conditions generally, the what we call the incidence of, of depression and anxiety is much higher than in the general population. And when people are living with so much pain and uncertainty about their condition, this really adds to it. But there are all kinds of things that can be done to support people in their mental health. And in fact, some rheumatology departments, while patients are waiting for their first appointment, can also provide support. But patient organisations such as ours also provide that emotional support to them. What's really important is not to feel isolated and to feel you can talk about your symptoms with family members, with partners, with, with friends. And Ruth, what sort of things do you find that people come to your organisation wanting to know once they've got a diagnosis? Once people have a diagnosis, and sometimes it might be the parent um, or partner of someone with a diagnosis that contacts us, it come, often comes as a huge shock. Um, often people don't understand what Crohn's and colitis is, um, or they immediately think that that means they're going to need to have surgery or have a stoma bag, for example. Um, so we have lots of information on our website, including the first uh, eight things to do when you've received a diagnosis and lots more detailed information as well. We also have a helpline so people can contact our helpline for information and support. And we have local groups as well so that people can get to talk to others in a similar situation who also have the condition. And how much of an impact does that make on people, do you think, being able to actually talk to someone locally who knows what it is that they're going through? That makes a massive difference. And our worry is that not everyone gets access to that information and support. So once people receive a diagnosis, they should be given information at the point of diagnosis. We have a pack of information that hospitals can order to give out to people at the point of diagnosis. But we know that far too many people receive a diagnosis um, without any information or support whatsoever. Um, we've even heard of people receiving a diagnosis via email um, or in a phone call with no support um, to help them understand what to do next. 
And sometimes there's a delay then in receiving treatment as well. So once somebody has a diagnosis, they should be receiving treatment or have a treatment plan within two weeks of diagnosis or within two days if symptoms are more severe. But we hear from lots of people where that just isn't happening and they're having to wait, waiting for a diagnosis and then waiting for a treatment plan and understanding what's going to happen next for them. And that's really hard, isn't it, Ruth? Because what is the, what can people do about that? If, you, you know, if you're waiting, you're, you're waiting. Where can you get support in the meantime? So if people can talk to their GP, if they need support, there may be some help that they can get with some of the symptoms that they're experiencing. And people can also use our website or come to us via our helplines and talk to us about the symptoms and what it's like. Um, and we've got information and support on our website for people who might be waiting for treatment or waiting for a diagnosis or investigations of tests as well, um, which can be a long wait. And Dale, where would you suggest that people go for support while they're waiting? Well, I certainly would recommend the NAS website because it gives information about our whole national network of branches, which are led by volunteers working with NHS physiotherapists, and they provide regular physiotherapy and hydrotherapy. And in the case of Axial Spa, what really, really helps to lessen the pain and the inflammation is actually exercise, just moving around. And you might think that's counterintuitive, but actually physical activity helps significantly with people's physical symptoms and, of course, helps with people's mood as well. So certainly patient organisations are a, a, a critical part. And we've shown through the pandemic, really, that at a time when many NHS services were really severely curtailed because of the pandemic, the demand for patient services has gone through the roof, really. And we've been there as a critical part of the support throughout that period. And that's interesting you mention exercise, because I can imagine that some people would be a little nervous about doing that and be afraid that they're going to make themselves worse. They would, but it's counterintuitive, actually, in Axial Spa, at least, uh, getting exercise, certainly in the mornings where people are feeling at their stiffest, uh, going for a good walk actually will help considerably with their physical symptoms and also will lift their mood. And are there things that people need to understand about the health system and how it all works that might make it all more straightforward for people because at least they might understand what what's going on what would you say to that Ruth? Well I think I think the first step is to contact their GP I think people are worried about contacting their GP they feel that they won't be able to get an appointment or that the GP won't take them seriously or because the symptoms of Crohn's and colitis can come and go, they might feel better for a while and they might think, oh, whatever it was has gone away and I'm better. Um, but unfortunately, the symptoms will come back. These are lifelong conditions. So it's really important not to ignore your symptoms and to seek expert advice. And then when you see your GP, don't, don't be afraid to use emotive language. Describe what impact the symptoms are having on you. I mean, there'll be some really key information in there. For instance, if you're having to get up in the night to go to the loo, that's a really crucial piece of information for your GP. So it's good to prepare for the appointment. And we have some information on our website and an appointments guide. Write your symptoms down. Think about how they're affecting your life. And as Lucy said, you, you may need to be persistent. GPs are under a huge amount of pressure. They don't have very much time. 
and these conditions are difficult to diagnose. So the more information you can give your GP, um, the better they're able they're going to be to help you get to the next step and refer you for the investigations and tests that you need. And there's a very simple poo test that GPs can request, which is called a faecal calprotectin test. And the results of this test will show if you've got inflammation and that would be a good indicator of whether you need to be referred to hospital for further investigations, which would usually be a colonoscopy. And is the reason that it can be difficult to diagnose that there are other conditions where symptoms might be similar? Yes, there are lots of conditions with similar symptoms. Um, that would include conditions such as celiac disease, um, irritable bowel syndrome, which is a very different condition to inflammatory bowel disease, or even bowel cancer. So it's really important that people, whatever their age, um, go and get checked out. And of course, for Crohn's and colitis, one in four people are diagnosed before the age of 30. So sometimes we hear from people who say that their GP have not taken them seriously because they're fairly young and the GP will think, oh, it's just stress. Or, you know, sometimes people have even been told they've got an eating disorder when in fact it's been Crohn's or colitis. Gosh, that must be very difficult for people. It, it's really difficult and we would encourage people to use the symptom checker that we have and gather as much information as they can when they go and see their GP. And we're working with GPs as well. We understand how difficult it is for GPs at the moment. So we have a toolkit that we've developed with the Royal College of General Practice to help GPs look out for the signs and symptoms of Crohn's and colitis and help people to get spotted and referred on for investigations earlier. Dale, do you have any final tips for people to make things a bit easier when they're trying to navigate the healthcare system? Well, I would say certainly make use of patient support organisations. Definitely take somebody with you into your appointment with your GP because you will forget all the things that you want to say. There is also, of course, the Patient Advisory Liaison Service, PALS. If you do have any real problems accessing healthcare, you can contact PALS and get support from them on how to complain and, and get advocacy from them. Well, thank you to both of you for all those tips. And I hope this has been useful for people in understanding how the whole system works. That is what we have time for in this episode. But thank you so much to Ruth Wakeman from Crohn's and Colitis UK and Dr. Dale Webb from the National Axial Spondyloarthritis Society. And thank you so much to Lucy as well for sharing her experiences with us. And thank you for listening. I'm Claudia Hammond. Do join me for the next episode of One Immune Voice, when we'll be looking in more detail at what you can do to navigate the health system once you've got a diagnosis in order to get the best possible care. Plenty to discuss there. Bye for now. And if you found this useful, don't forget you can like, share and subscribe to One Immune Voice on whichever platform you use. One Immune Voice is a podcast series initiated and funded by Janssen UK. All participants have been reimbursed for their time. The views, information or opinions expressed during One Immune Voice are solely those of the contributors and do not represent the views of Janssen UK. The primary purpose of One Immune Voice is to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should contact their prescribing physician if they have any concerns about their treatment.